0: Welcome to the B2B Mix Show with Elena and Stacy. In each episode, we'll bring you ideas that you can implement in your sales and marketing strategy. We'll share what we know along with advice from industry experts who will join us on the show. Are you ready to mix it up? Let's get started.
1: Hey, everybody, I'm Stacy Jackson, and we are excited to be back for season two of the B2B Mix Show. Happy New Year! Yes, we
0: are super excited. And I am Elena Jackson, and we are the co-founders of Jackson Marketing. And in case you still haven't heard, we are sisters. Stacey, what's the topic of
1: today's episode? Well, to kick off a new year, we thought we would talk to someone who knows a lot about employee motivation and engagement. And the two things are different. And we did end up talking more about engagement than motivation, maybe, but, but they go hand in hand. I think it's really important for all you people who hire people or manage teams to listen into to what this uh, show is all about.
0: Totally agree. So employee engagement, employee uh, motivation, those are two big things that are critical in companies. And I've worked in both big and small companies, so I've seen what... Motivates and what engages and what doesn't. And sometimes management just doesn't think through the things that they say or do. And those words and actions alone can demotivate or cause an employee to feel, you know, disengaged. I know that I worked at a, a bigger company years ago. And one of the things that we had every year, there was like, A peak season where we had to do tons of overtime. And one of the managers was walking around trying to find people to come back into the office for additional shifts. And she looks at me and one of my friends and she says, you're both single with no children. Why don't you come in for some additional shifts? You're going to do that, right? It'll be easier for you because everyone else here has kids and you're single. So it'll be easier. And that was just to me so frustrating it made me not want to come in it made me disengaged because i felt like my time didn't matter because i wasn't married i didn't have kids and things like that so it just created this wall up for me and, and made me just so disengaged and i don't think he meant it in a a bad way but it came across that way to me as the employee hearing those words and you know there's also been times where I've been working at a job, I turned in my resignation, they've offered me a substantial raise to stay. And I, I didn't stay because the environment that was there, just it wasn't an environment that was engaging to me and I, it wasn't a good fit for me. So while they get offered me a lot more money to stay, it wasn't something that motivated me to stay because the environment wasn't what I wanted to be in. I think a lot of times employers, miss the mark when it comes to employee engagement and employee motivation. That's some of the things that I've come across in my years of working. You know, Stacey, have you ever had that? Does any of that resonate with you?
1: Well, definitely in the situation you're talking about where you left the company, I had worked at that same company. And the reason I can tell you that Elena didn't feel engaged anymore is the company was sold and the corporate culture changed dramatically. Now, I was disengaged because they decided to lay off the marketing department and most of the salespeople. So I was disengaged right away.
0: (laughs) Always the first to go, right?
1: (laughs) Just hearing what people were going through and the major changes, you could see how a big change like that and a culture disruption will have. So while it may be up to the employee to be engaged in some instances, the way that the company engages and motivates and offers culture to the people that are there can make or break whether that person wants to stay engaged.
0: 100%.
1: But luckily today, it's not just up to you and me, Elena, to tell people about how to keep employees engaged. We've got the perfect person here to talk about this topic. Elena, why don't you introduce our guest?
0: If you've not heard of Meredith Elliott Powell, then you're in for a treat. She's been voted one of the top 15 business experts to watch by Currency Fair. She's a sales and leadership expert, award-winning author, keynote speaker, and business strategist. With a background in corporate sales and leadership, her career expands over several industries, including banking, healthcare, and finance. Meredith worked her way up from an entry-level position to earn her seat at the C-suite table. She's a certified speaking professional, which is a designation held by less than 12% of professional speakers and a member of the prestigious Forbes Coaching Council. She is passionate about helping her clients learn the sales and leadership strategies they need to be successful no matter what this marketplace does. Meredith, welcome to the B2B Mix Show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, we are definitely happy to have you. So let's jump right in. We're talking about motivation and engagement today to kick off 2020 with our listeners. There's a lot of talk about the importance of customer engagement and customer experience over the past couple of years, but we noticed on your website on one of your presentations that you said, employee engagement trumps customer engagement every single time. The relationship you build with your team members and associates is more important than the relationship you build with your customers. Can you tell us a little bit more about why employee engagement is so important, especially when it comes to your sales and marketing teams?
2: yes you know I'm, I'm researching a, a, a new book right now and it's interesting I'm interviewing CEOs that have seen unbelievable growth since 2008 and one of the main things that I have seen that while everybody has a different path a different strategy different ideas the one thing that all those CEOs have in common is that they have taken the responsibility of culture and employee engagement and put it squarely on their desk so that right there tells you how important it is I mean we are living in a marketplace where I can literally buy anything I want to buy from the comfort of my own home. So the only thing that anybody is selling is the experience that they provide to their customers. That would be really easy to ensure that your customers have a great experience if you were the only person who interacted with your customers. But as most of your listeners know, probably as they're listening to this show, their best customer, their top prospect is, is interacting with their employee and the experience they have is 100% dependent upon how much that employee cares. So employee engagement, I argue is the highest and best use of any leader's time.
0: And that's true because a lot of people today, everyone is so focused on customer experience, customer experience. And we don't focus on that employee engagement experience enough, I don't think, because to your point, The employees are the ones that are having that conversation and and those interactions with your customers. And if your employees aren't happy, that's going to kind of show a lot of times if if they can't separate their emotions uh, from when they're talking with their customers.
2: Yeah. I mean, we have all had that experience, right? I mean, you know it, you almost like smell it or sense it the moment that you walk into the door, you know, whether an employee cares or not. And it even goes deeper that, I mean, you're so right, whether employees are happy, but really engagement is deeper about that. I mean, do they understand the business? Do they feel a part of the business? Are they connected to the mission and the vision? Are they, you know, are they knowledgeable? Do they feel valued? All of those things come out in in creating a better customer experience. The CEO that is talking about improving customer experience but is not paying attention to the culture that he or she is creating for employees is just wasting valuable dollars because you've got to engage the employees first.
0: So Corporate culture is obviously plays a huge role in whether or not employees are engaged and motivated and how they're responding to their environment around them. But it seems like a lot of organizations are still missing that. So what can managers do if the overall corporate culture doesn't seem like it's embracing those employees and creating a positive environment for those employees to engage in?
2: You know, I think think the problem is, is that we try to complicate employee engagement and we try to complicate culture. This is really very simple. And so I feel like if, you know, if your culture isn't working, it's because most likely you're stating one culture, but the culture that people are experiencing is different. And, you know, we've all had that experience too, where you see the values on the wall and you're standing there as a customer going, none of these are playing out in my customer experience. The employee is having that same experience, you know, as well. I mean, the Enron scandal was a, was a huge example of that. But really what culture is at the basis is, do you have a purpose? Do people feel like they are a part of something bigger than themselves and they feel like they're doing work? that matters? Or do they feel like they are a part of something? Are you giving people ownership, skin in the game? Are you allowing them to have a voice and responsibility? And then do people feel reward and support when they need help or whether they've done a good job? It's not really that complicated, but it just the consistency can be hard to do because it isn't sexy, it isn't attractive, it doesn't get you an immediate bottom line result. And
0: one of the things you mentioned, skin in the game, in the recent Vanilla Soft post where you shared some of your predictions for 2020 about motivation, skin in the game was one of them. And that was one that I kind of really stuck to. I was like, oh, that's a good one because so many people that are out there on the ground doing the work want to know that what they're saying matters and that because they're the ones doing it every day. And to have that ability to say, hey, You're listening to me and what I'm saying makes a difference and is making an impact in this company is huge for motivational factors, I think.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was, when I started writing the book Own It, which I put out a couple of years ago, which is on employee engagement, I really started to write the book because it was driving me crazy. I was reading all these blogs and all these articles about what companies were doing to create culture. I mean, that pretty much you got a job and then within the first year, you'd get 30 days sabbatical and, you know, every Friday they'd bring in massages and, you know, all (laughs) these crazy things. And, but still our employee engagement levels were still dropping. And, and I, and I thought, well, that is really interesting. And the truth is it's because you can't engage an employee that is 100% and a person's you know responsibility whether they engage or not and i argue in the book if you're an employee whether the culture asks you to or doesn't it's in your best interest to engage so motivation when i really got down to what is in that culture one of the biggest things is people want to be heard they want to have a voice and you know that really isn't that surprising because it is not like the number 1 reason that you know marriages break up is because people don't feel right? listened <laughs> to it's it's one of the most powerful Things that we can do. And here's the other great thing about it is that your employees will have good ideas. And even if they don't have a great idea, they'll go to the mat trying to implement the idea because it's their idea. Mm-hmm. So it's so motivating to be heard.
0: It makes a huge difference. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned like the massages every Friday. Do you <laughs> think that the, I, I guess it's a lot of it kind of came from the Silicon Valley types of companies where they're doing all kinds of things for their clients. They have nap rooms and different things like that. And some of those ideas have kind of spread out throughout other companies. But do you think that has kind of played into the misconception of what motivates the employees?
2: Yes, I think that it. You know, I really think it's a little bit of my generation growing up as helicopter parents, and you know, just like I mean, I grew up with parents that you know pretty much you know threw us out the back door, locked the door, and said we'll see it you, you know six o'clock that night, and I don't care where you are all day. And you take the helicopter generation, and we were just very involved with our children. Everything they did, we were right there over them all the time. And I think we've just taken that into the workplace. When we see that employees aren't engaged, we go, oh my gosh. I've got to do something. I've got to fix this. And the truth is, no matter the age of an employee, whether they're well into their, you know, seventies, whether they're just in their twenties, people are the same at their core. And it was really interesting when I started studying employee engagement, I found that the most disengaged employees in the world work for the federal government. And the most engaged work, you know, not surprising, right? But think about it. Not surprising. But listen, that's a pretty much a guaranteed job. You're going to get a pension. You have an Mm -hmm. unbelievable holiday and vacation schedule. Mm -hmm. But the most engaged work for nonprofits, you know, organizations that you're not guaranteed a job, you're barely getting paid. Mm -hmm. And, but you're, but it is that Purpose. It is that intrinsic thing that says, wow, I'm really making a difference. So if you want to give massages or you want to do sabbaticals or you want to do anything you want to do, I don't have an issue with that, but you can't do it unless you have these foundational pieces there first. Mm-hmm. That can't be busy. the
1: only thing,
2: right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, may, maybe I'm just bitter because I'm I'm too old to have gotten those entry level jobs with you know a massage every Friday. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> I missed out on those. Dang it. <laughs> that's right. That's Can right. I relabel
0: myself as a engineer and start all over. <laughs> <Right>. I mean, <laughs> hey, folks. Let's take a break to hear about today's sponsor. <laughs> And we are back.
1: It's kind of funny when you think about the marriage metaphor you mentioned earlier about building relationships. It's almost like when the employer brand was developed, they put on that first date face and then the real person comes out after the employee marries the company.
2: Yeah. I have a whole theory around that. And my theory is not based in any scientific research at all, but I know that I'm right about it. That's um, the best kind of theory. <laughs> But but when 2008 happened, and we all remember 2008, we were set Mm -hmm. for a whole generation to get ready to retire. Well, the very fact that their stock portfolios were not going to be healthy and we had just come through a big financial crisis, they stayed in the workplace. And they're staying in the workplace. They not only stayed in the workplace, but they came in and they became very much a micromanager, not training or developing anybody up under Mm them. And so, and employees for the most matter from 2008 to about 2012 you were just trying to keep your head down and not get fired so we've lost a good like 10 years of where this next generation of people will really develop, learn skills, fail, fall on their face, get back up, take a mid-level management position. And now we're in a crisis mode where, you know, this generation now well into their seventies is definitely going to get out and retire. And they're struggling to find those next level leaders. And I think that corporations are just throwing everything they can thinking that, that You know, that if you have enough bells and whistles, people will want to work for you. That's Mm -hmm. true. But the bells and whistles won't keep people long term.
1: Right. So what do you think the answer is? Is it a combination of incentives or certain types of incentives? Is it money? Is it just better employee branding and recruitment and culture? How, How do you do the right things to keep the right people?
2: I I think you ask the right people. I mean, I'll you know I'll take a dose of my own medicine. I mean, if anybody's listening to the show that is sitting there and you've got five really and good employees working for you, you've got two. I just did this with a client of mine, and basically, she's in a very rural area. It's very tough. To find talent and very tough to keep it long-term. And we just built a task force of six of her best employees. And we said, we've got to create the culture. We've got to build a talent pipeline. We've got to create our next level leaders. What do you think we ought to do? And basically they've just gone to town in creating it. There are people that work for you that you'd love to have 20 more of them. Mm -hmm. The best way to get 20 more of them is to ask them. That's
1: a great idea. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: that means so much when you're kind of looking at your company overall and creating that company culture, because those people can give you something that will, like you said, will help you find more people like them. And that's huge if you want to have a company that is super successful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes as leaders, we don't really understand, like we only, employees are putting their best on for us, right? So we don't really see what it really takes to be successful in our organizations. And by engaging the people that actually are doing the job, you not only get a a group of people that then are on your team helping you find other good employees, but they're really finding the right talent with the right values to really be able to do that. Because I think that, understanding your corporate values, really understanding what's critical to your company, and then using that as your promotion tool, as your hiring tool will make a huge difference in your business.
1: Sounds like that would almost be a preferred sort of approach versus a blanket employee referral reward or something.
2: Uh, Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with that. And
0: sometimes people just with, with those employee referrals, they just want that money. So they're not necessarily finding the right person for your company.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You want them to, you know, you want them to think like, I, again, that that the, the most successful organizations I see is when the when the leader moves into the role where he or she believes that they are working for their team, not that their team is working for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that's why a lot of companies are kind of going to the employee-owned type of company as opposed to privately owned and or family owned and different things like that? Do you think that has an impact on it?
2: Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, in employee owned, it definitely, you know, if you can create an ESOP in your, in your organization, however, a lot of times I'll see companies go to, to an ESOP and they don't do a good job of educating everybody about what ownership means and about how the company, I'm really passionate whether you're an ESOP or whether you're, you know, a, a more traditional type of company, everybody in your company needs to understand how your company works, mostly needs to understand how your company makes money, you know, what your, what your buying cycle is, what customers you're focused on. When they fundamentally understand those things, all their thinking starts to change. Mm -hmm. I used to work, I was an account
0: manager at a company and one of my clients was craft. And one thing that they do really well at craft is they move people around to different positions. So they learn how everything at the company works. And I think that is huge, kind of to the point where you're saying you learn about how the, the company works, the company culture, everything that, how they make money, all the different pieces to that. And I think- That kind of model is good for some of that employee motivation. I think that that has to help because you're learning more. You're not always doing the same thing and you're finding out about the company as a whole.
2: Yes, exactly. I think that, you know, it's employees, people, I really fundamentally believe that that people want to work and they want to work hard for you. You just got to ask yourself as a leader, am I giving them all the information and all the tools they need to do that?
1: Yeah, too often leaders want p- you to r- work really hard, but they're not ready to be a servant leader back to the employee.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: And where do you think that most managers are missing that mark when it comes to motivating employees? Do you think they, they just don't think about it? Is it lack of understanding of what's motivating them from different generations? Because now they've got multiple generations working for them or lack of empathy. They just don't care. They don't know. Is it? What do you think some of the big things are that the managers are missing that are causing this?
2: Yeah, you know, there's, I think there's, I think there's quite a number of them. Number one is I think that they fall victim to the idea that you actually, they believe they can motivate their employees. And what I mean by that is that, you know, once you design the culture and once you lay out the expectations, they say something like 67% of disciplinary issues with employees come from the fact that employees don't know what's expected of them. And so, sitting down and really helping employees understand what the rules are. And for them, that means that this is exactly what you need to do to be successful. This is how, you know, this is what you're going to be graded on. This is what the priorities are. Helping people understand those pieces. But then if people choose not to do what they're, what is expected of them, getting them off the team. One of the biggest demotivators for employees is dead weight on the team. And so employers, leaders start out by not clearly stating expectations, not providing the support to achieve those expectations, and then not getting the dead weight off the team. The reason that's so important is because the moment that you, let's say you two are killing it, you're doing everything that you can do to get our department to be successful. And I'm just sitting here dropping the ball. I'm not doing anything. And our leader doesn't do Anything about me doesn't reprimand me. Doesn't do anything. It signals to the two of you that he does that, that he doesn't care about the company, mm-hmm. and that completely demotivates you. Yeah. And so, yeah. so support and accountability, clearly stating expectations, and then then enforcing the rules are foundational pieces of motivation.
0: What trends do you think we'll start to see in 2020 when it comes to motivating both your sales and your marketing teams?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think, again, if you if you have some of these foundational pieces in place, I think some of the bells and whistles that that are going to come along is that I think that you are going to see a lot more flexible work schedules, a lot more people graded on getting the job done rather than whether they're in their seat at 8 a.m., you know, Monday morning. Giving people the opportunity to learn and in other areas that aren't necessarily directly related to their job or directly related, you know, necessarily to the company. Like allowing people, if you, you know, maybe you you've always wanted to learn to do some, you know, some public speaking, or there's something you want to volunteer in in your community. I think that companies are going to make more room for that. But the biggest trend I think that you're going to see is really investing in personal learning and development. So many of the statistics are are showing that, you know, that millennials and and Gen Zs will stay on the job longer if they're invested in and they have a career path. So I think that you're going to see companies start to get serious about that and making sure that they identify who their talent is and they're doing what they need to do to hold on to them.
0: One of the things that I heard, I want to say, it was Andy Paul. He mm-hmm. was on a podcast and he was talking about... That it shouldn't always be up to the company to pay for that additional learning. Do you think that whether the company pays for it or
2: not, does that impact that motivation? I think that, you know, let me put it this way you know, I think if an employee is really giving you, I don't think that, I don't think it's an entitlement. I don't think a company has to. I don't think they have to pay for your education. I don't think they have to do anything like that. But I think if an employee is, Really giving you everything they've got and you're sitting down and you're plotting out their career path. I mean, I know when I was, when I worked in corporate, gosh, and it's been 20 years now, but I sat down with my boss and I really wasn't interested in the traditional promotion opportunities that were there, but I really wanted my coaching certification. So he made that happen and he paid for it. He not only paid for it, but he gave me the time um, Mm -hmm. to do it. And, you know, I stayed another six years in a job I didn't think I would stay to. So can I just add to that in the sense that I do think we need to get over in our mind what a long-term employee is. I do think gone are the days of 20, 30 years. And what you're trying to do is get a good two to five out of them. But you mm-hmm. want them, while they're there, two to five, to give everything they've got.
0: Yeah, it's funny because Stacey ha- ha- was let go after, what was it, 16 years, Stacy, Almost 16, yeah. And when she tried to find another job, a lot of them were like, "Uh, you were at one place too long. You know, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. faculty used to be a good thing. What is going on? <laughs> so it's, it's interesting how it has changed.
2: Yeah. Right, right.
1: I guess kind of along that vein, not that I want to label myself in this. So the, the idea of the Peter principle, do you think that that kind of gets in the way of people being engaged because people do get promoted (laughs) to their level of incompetence. Maybe people are happy and engaged at the level they're at, but there's this feeling that you have to keep going and being promoted or go to the next new job. How do you think that plays into engagement and employee happiness
2: in a role? Oh my gosh. I mean, I have, I'm sure we have all seen so many people and you're right. I mean, you know, we all think we have to go up another level and we go up another level and it's not anything we want to do or, or any of the, you know, the, the, the skills that, That we have or want to. And, and I think it, I think, I think people get up there and they get what, you know, what's become known in society as the corporate handcuffs. You've got the job, you've got the country club membership, you've got the salary that comes with it, you know, the benefits and two kids in college. And there you are stuck doing something, you know, that you didn't necessarily want to do. So I do think that companies are going to need to get more creative and employees. I really like when I work one on one with employees, I was working with a woman about a year ago and she's phenomenal but she she's only going to have her daughter home about you know she's got five more years before her daughter goes to college so she just decided that she couldn't be promoted five more years and through our coaching and one-on-one i said why don't you sit down with your boss and let them know what you want within the parameters of what you're willing to do And sure enough, they love her, she's amazing. They gave her another opportunity, still making the time for her to be home while her daughter's home for another five more years. So companies need to, where I see mistakes that companies are making, if anybody's still worried about whether their employee is sitting at a desk from eight to five, they need to get out of the box and rethink some of that. And you don't do this for every employee, but for people who are really knocking it out of the park for you, who are really smart, They sometimes they want flexibility in in so many things, whether it's position, whether it's time at work, whether it's what they learn. And if you're open to that, you're going to create real loyalty and engagement. We have one final
0: question for you, and this is more of a just for fun question. If you weren't busy traveling the world as a keynote speaker, author and coach and all the wonderful things that you do, what would be your dream job if you could do anything?
2: If I could do anything I wanted to do, (laughs) we were just talking about this the other day, I'd be a yoga instructor. Ah. But I have to be good at. But I have to be good at yoga first.
0: <laughs> do you do the yoga where they bring the goats in and get on your back and all that? <laughs> I,
2: I, you know, I haven't. I haven't gone as far as the goat yoga. But I am that person who is, you know, who's laboring through it twice a week for years. Who, who uh, really doesn't get much better. But I really thought. I thought, you know, when I get off this train, I am going to just get into my spiritual head and learn that. <laughs>
0: Well that's a good thing to do because i it's supposed to be really good for your body and soul and, and everything so that's a great thing to to look forward to
1: <laughs> I don't think i'm coordinated enough to do it so maybe if you're if you're like a second level uh, down kind of instructor i can be your you know terrible student <laughs> let, let me let
2: me let me just say I think you could come to my class because I don't think we'd be doing anything anything very very complicated
1: sometimes I have a hard time just walking a straight line without tripping so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Well, Meredith, thank you so much for taking time to join us today and sharing your insights on engagement and motivation, especially as we kick off 2020. If our audience wants to get in touch with you or follow you online, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Well, I would love if they would get in touch with me or follow me online. I'm a big connector. So if you reach out, I will definitely reach back. But you can find me at my website, which is valuespeaker.com, the words value and speaker.com. And then I tend to live on the social media sites of uh, LinkedIn and YouTube.
0: Great. All right. And we will have that in our show notes. So make sure you go follow and connect with Meredith on social and go to her website as well and check it out if you want to get in touch with me or Stacy, you can hit us up on social. On Twitter, you can find Stacy at, at Stacey underscore Jax. That's Stacy underscore Jax. That's S T A C Y underscore J A X. And you can find me at Elena underscore Jax. That's A L A N N A underscore J A X. If you're not a Twitter fan, that's okay. You can look us up on LinkedIn under Stacy Jackson or Elena Jackson. And finally, don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail on the Anchor mobile app or on our Anchor.fm show page. Thanks, guys. See you next week. The B2B Mix Show is hosted by Stacey Jackson and Elena Jackson of, you guessed it, Jackson Marketing. If you need help with your B2B inbound marketing efforts, visit us at JacksonMarketingServices.com.